just get your Bibles out. Women's group. Women are a group, fellowship group for women on Thursday night at Christine's house. And uh, any questions, go talk to Christine and she'll let you know about that. Oh. Oh, come on, I just want to get to the word. Sorry, we just, those flower pots are just offering. I was going to say something spiritual about seed and flowers and stuff like that, but. Ah, Wednesday morning, we also have a prayer time on Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. For those of you who are available then, it's at our house, Mary and I's which is 13 Columbus Drive. You're all welcome if you're available at that point. Uh, We started, I was supposed to announce all this last week and I totally forgot everything. All the announcements. uh, Okay. Last week I was, actually, you know, I'm actually really excited about this whole series because God's just actually doing a whole lot of changes in me identifying things that need to be adjusted, and uh, not that they're wrong, but some of my thinking has been limiting him. And so the increasing in the flow of the Spirit is happening for me. And so I'm quite excited about that. Before I get into the Word, I just want to acknowledge that Josh Burke is, this is last Sunday, he's moving to South Australia to continue his uh, education. Hopefully the kingdom is advancing in South Australia. It's kind of like a Nazareth. Can anything good come from... No. <laughs> I lived... Uh, when we first moved to Australia, I lived in Adelaide for four years. So, Some of you just lay your hands on him. Let's just pray blessing for this guy. Lord, we just do ask that you would pour out your blessing on Josh yes. as he goes to study, as he's uh, advancing the uh, career that you have called him into. But Father, more than anything for your kingdom to be advanced. That he'd be blessed, that he'd be protected, but that he'd be walking in obedience to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I started introducing obstacles or opposition to the flow of the spirit. You know that the, uh, the word Christ literally means anointing. And the antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist is not only against Jesus, but it's against anointing. So there's obstacles, there's opposition when we want to grow in the flow of the spirit. I start out with those that I'm going to kind of digress from that. I didn't want to give you all the obstacles up front. I thought I was going to, but then I found that that was just wasn't too exciting. Uh, but we did talk about the things that we'll face over the next few weeks, roadblocks, strongholds, (coughs) the demonic. But I want to talk about not just the obstacles, but I want to talk about the ingredients that are necessary for us to grow in the flow of the Spirit or the anointing. If some of you have caught, I'm intentionally not using the term anointing. I'm using the term the flow of the Spirit because sometimes we have preconceived mindsets. In fact, quite often we have preconceived mindsets. There is this amazing thing that we see in the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, that actually just amazes me, and that is that God chooses to partner with us. 
I mean, that in itself, we could spend weeks talking about. He chooses to allow us to work with him. In fact, that's how he designed the world. It's hard for me to grasp. But it's still how he made it. He chooses to partner with us. Now that needs to actually permeate our thinking. Because a lot of us, I was raised in a evangelical church that basically the premise of everything that happened was that God's going to do what he wants to do. Doesn't matter what you do or say. Yet as I read the Bible, I found that God worked with people and through people. And that didn't fit with what I had been taught. Now, it wasn't actually a preaching, a teaching. It was just kind of what permeated everything we did. And so there was almost this fatalistic passivity. God's going to do what he's going to do. And then I began to read the Bible and realized, no, he actually chooses to partner with us. That is beyond my comprehension. Does he need to? No. Is he limited? No. Has he chosen to do this? That's what the Bible seems to say. But if that's the case, and it seems to be, then there's ingredients that we bring to the partnership. If he's chosen not to just do things on his own, but to do it in partnership and through us, then our obedience is one of the ingredients we bring to that partnership. Just in case you're questioning where I'm going, power is not one of the ingredients you bring to the partnership. He's not saying, I have almost enough power. I just need a little bit more. And if you'll bring yours, then we can accomplish things. He can accomplish it on his own. But he chooses to work with us. So I'm going to tell you three ingredients. We're not going to talk about them all this morning. We're going to talk about them over the next few weeks, interspersed with the obstacles. But the ingredients that we bring that I've seen over a lot of hours of studying the Bible is first and foremost is relationship. That's no big deal. Intimacy with God. He made us for that purpose. Jesus redeemed us for that purpose. But that's one of the ingredients that we bring. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Another ingredient that we bring is revelation. Now, that doesn't mean that we bring revelation. It means that our understanding of truth and our response to truth, our faith in that, is an ingredient that we bring. The more we believe the truth of what God says, the more we can respond to what God is saying, and therefore, the more he's able to use us. Kind of like sharpening a tool. The tool becomes better. The tool can't do anything on its own. The clippers that I use to trim the hedge at home, manual, I should get one of those automatic ones, 
But the clippers I use, they work better if they're sharp, but they don't, I can sharpen them and that doesn't mean they're gonna go trim the hedge. Why? Because they don't bring any power to the equation. I'm still the power behind the, the clippers. That's why I work out. <laughs> and then the third ingredient is response. Are obeying him. You can have intimacy in relationship. You can have revelation. But if you don't obey what he says, nothing happens. Now we're going to see over the next few weeks how the devil has put things in place to stop us and distract us and to deceive us from partnering with God. As we grow in the flow of the Spirit, we want to grow in these areas. The first one we want to talk about today is relationship. It's one ingredient for growing in the flow of the Spirit. Let me say this. There is no flow, there is no flow of the Spirit without knowing Jesus. Jesus is the introduction to the kingdom there is no flow of the Spirit. I don't care what New Age people tell you. There is no growing in the flow of the Spirit of God without first knowing Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, this is going to be a waste of your time this morning. Except that we'll give you an opportunity to meet him at the end. But too often we talk about the things that come in the kingdom without people knowing the king of the kingdom. You cannot move in the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit if you're not filled with the Spirit. And you can't be filled with the Spirit if you don't know Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, those are the fruit of being filled with the Spirit. They are not character qualities that you develop if you just put your head down and work hard. I don't know why I'm getting excited about that, but I was raised with the fruit of the Spirit were character qualities, and we just had, we, we actually produced them. So they were the fruit of our hard work and our self-discipline. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-discipline. But let me tell you this, you cannot grow in the fruit of the Spirit if you're not filled with the Spirit. No matter how hard you work, no matter how religious you are, no matter how much, many rules you obey. I'm getting sidetracked. It's one of my dangers here. There's no growing in the flow of the Spirit if we don't know Jesus. Yet, once we come into relationship with Jesus, we can grow in relationship. Most of you know that as you begin to know someone, you can grow in that relationship. Someone once said, relationships are a function of time. The more time you spend with someone, the more you know them. That works with God. But we'll get to that in a second. John chapter 5. Jesus is our example Wow, you guys are quick. Who's doing that this morning? 
Huh? Kate's doing that. I didn't even say 519. She was there. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to, him, to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus only functioned in relationship with God. You would think Jesus was God who became man. If there was anybody who could decide what should be done and do it on his own initiative or his own authority, it was Jesus. Yet Jesus says, I do nothing on my own. RSV says, on my own initiative or my own authority. Verse 30, and I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him, of the Father who sent me. Again, chapter 8 and verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as the Father has taught me, I speak these things. 1229. You're there before I am. I'm still turning pages. All I have to do is find it. I know John was in my Bible a little while ago. That was 1249, which is why I couldn't find it. Forgive me. Uh, All I have to do is find chapter 12. What are those days? For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me Gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And then one more, chapter 14, and verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. If Jesus is our example and he did nothing other than what God was speaking to him, Relationship is a key ingredient. See, God never intended us to know enough to do his will without relationship with him. Relationship with him is the purpose. It's the goal. Yet too too often we've approached ministry as if If I know enough, if I learn enough, if I study enough, if I get good theology, then I can determine what should be done. And that was never God's intent. He intended us to walk in relationship with him, not do things on our own. What does that mean? Literally means hearing God's voice or being led by his spirit. 
That's what I want to talk about, how this was introduction to get to this point. I heard a teacher when I was younger, about 12 or 16 ways that God speaks to us. And I was totally confused because I couldn't remember them all. I was quickly jotting down notes. I want to know how God speaks. I'm going to save you all that. I'm going to put it in two categories. How God speaks to us. First category is he speaks to us internally, subjectively. That could be things like a still small voice, a prompting, peace, uh, different things that, that, you know, we, pictures that we see in our head, dreams. Sometimes he can highlight scripture to us, which is God speaking to us. Mary and I were, years ago, we were asked to be involved in a NCMI team that was ministering in the nations around the world. We had no money. And we asked God, okay, God, if you're saying this, you have to provide. And God took us to Ezra, chapter 6, verse 4, that says that the expense will be paid from the king's treasury. Now, that wasn't a verse for everybody. It was a verse that God was speaking to us. He was saying to us, by his spirit, internally, subjectively, that, that I'm going to take care of this. Now, that's wonderful. But see, there's not only the internal, there's the external. There's the objective. The objective is something that God speaks outside of us. Okay, see, the inside, what he speaks inside, sometimes is God clearly, and sometimes it's a bit of God and a bit of our own desires and heart and, you know, uh, as, as uh, sorry, Ezekiel 16 talks about prophets who can prophesy out of their own heart. I want something good for Brian and Cindy, and so I can manufacture something. That doesn't necessarily mean it's God. And so we need to understand that and we need to take that and say, okay, God, if you're speaking to me, you need to confirm that in me. But he often confirms externally, telling us that the expense would be paid from the king's treasury meant nothing if he didn't pay the expense. So the very first trip we took, based on that, we went, someone actually came to us and said, we planned a trip overseas, our plans have changed, we set this money aside and God told us to give it to you because you're going to be taking a trip overseas. We had just been asked that week to attend a training for the uh, NCMI team. So we had the means to get there. Had no ability to live while we were there, but we had the means. In fact, when we got to the States, we had 50 dollars, 50 Aussie dollars at the time. And when we exchanged that at the exchange with the exchange rate and the fee, we ended up with 18 US dollars <laughs> for three weeks. I would not recommend that unless you've heard God say the expense will be paid from the king's treasury. And then we just saw time after time. We went, stayed with some friends, leads the church, asked me to preach. We got there on Wednesday, said on Thursday, we're going to go shopping. 
We're going to take you to the, the biggest shopping center in all of America. And we went, yeah, we have $18. Short shopping trip. He said, no, no, no. Months ago, our eldership team said, when you come as a church, we will take you shopping and pay for anything and everything you would like to buy. Only limitation is that we're in another country that's got to fit in our suitcase to get home. They were at the car. We went from there to some friend's house and they handed us an envelope and said, do you want, this is funny, but about six months ago, God told us to send you guys a check. And uh, we wrote out a check and we stuck it in an envelope and we just found it on our desk this week. After we were cleaning out our desk, it was there and never got sent. But here it is. Now the bottom line is, three weeks, God not only paid for all our expenses, but I was working outside of church ministry at the time and came back with enough money to pay for all the expenses that I had at home that I didn't get because I wasn't working. God's saying the, the expenses will be paid from the king's treasury was confirmed by the expenses being paid from the king's treasury. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes prophecy is an external word that God's confirming something. Almost always external words are confirmation of things that God's already spoken to us internally. Not 100%, but most of the time. Okay? If someone gives you a prophetic word that God hasn't spoken to you, just put it on the shelf. And say, okay, I don't have to drop everything and go fulfill that. We had a ministry time in a church I was part of in California. And the guy who was speaking had kind of a prophetic word. And he looked at this guy in the front row and, who had been ministering in Japan years ago. And he said, Japan, Japan. God's opening a door again to Japan. And he looked beyond as if it were Tim. Looked beyond to the person sitting, which would be Christine. And said, God's saying that you're going to go to Japan as well. This was a young gal who had just gotten married. Came to me afterwards and said, do I have to go to Japan? <laughs> said, I don't want to go to Japan. I just got married. I said, look, just put it on the shelf. You know, maybe he just got excited. Maybe it was God. But if it's God, he'll confirm it in your heart. Don't sell everything you have and move to Japan because somebody gave you a prophetic word. See, in that whole moving of the prophetic, there was all kinds of crazy things happened. People would say, you know, God told me that you're going to be my wife. A friend of mine said someone told her that. She said, God didn't tell me and turned and walked away. <laughs> but see, there's sometimes we can use that as means of manipulating people. And sometimes it is God saying something for the future. And sometimes we don't understand it. So you just put it on the shelf. God will speak to you. So there's internal, there's external. External can be prophecy, can be counsel. You know, God can speak through counsel. Sometimes you go to your parents or to someone you trust or another leader and say, hey, this is what we feel like God's saying. Will you pray with us about this? Now, the key to that is you have to have an honest heart. I don't know how many times I've heard people, they found someone who confirmed it. 
36th person I talked to <laughs> finally said, yes, I believe God's saying that. God told me he was going to make me a multimillionaire. And all I had to do was sit and pray at home. And money would come float, floating in. And I finally found someone who agreed. So I have a confirmation. God said this. Okay? Sometimes circumstances, like I said, are the God speaking externally. They're the confirmation. Sometimes open doors. Years ago, we had a team we took to uh, Brazil from Southern California where we lived. We took this team. And there was one of the guys who said he felt God said he was to go. We said, great. He came along. But what happened is he felt God said he was to go, but didn't have any money. And God didn't provide. So he put it on his credit card. He spent a year and a half paying off that trip. God didn't confirm. He should never have gone. Okay, he thought he was being obedient, but the problem was our internal sometimes comes with our own mix, our desire. I want to go. Yes, God's saying I should go. Well, if God's saying it, then he'll provide. Mary and I, from that point where God said the expense would be paid from the king's treasury, I've told you this before, but we've now done 56 international trips and over 100 domestic, we've never put anything on the credit card. Because God provides or we don't go. It's very simple. This is not my desire to go travel the world. In fact, I'd rather never go anywhere again. I really like it here. I like not going on airplanes. I don't fit on airplanes. Airplanes, I don't know if you know this, but airplanes are designed for people who are 5'7". Airplane seats in economy are designed for people who are 5'7". At that stage, you can actually get your legs underneath the seat in front of you. When you get beyond that, pretty soon you can't. I'm a bit over that. I'm a bit over it as well. External confirmation or God speaking can be signs. But let me tell you this. A sign from God that is him speaking to you is something that you ask and agree upon beforehand. Like Gideon and the fleece. Gideon says, God, if you're saying this, I'm going to set these fleece out, make them wet, and everything else dry. And God did it. He didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, look, there's dry fleece there. Everything's wet. That must be a sign from God. Let me tell you, you're going to get in trouble if you do that. Someone said, you know, God opens doors. The problem is an open door could be God, but you better find out whose fingerprints are on the door. Because sometimes the devil can open doors. Had a friend who was called of God to, to, he was part of the eldership team. They were actually bringing him on full time in this eldership team. What happened is two years later, he actually took over that leadership of the whole church. God was preparing him, bringing him on full time. But the week that they asked him to come full time, the company he worked for offered him a partnership in the company. Which is the open door? 
He had to hear God, not just the open doors. And so sometimes God uses signs. Sometimes they're just cool things. When we uh, moved into our house here in Blackstone Heights, we went up there, Tim and Kate were with us, first day we went up there. Uh, we just got the key going in, and there's these two eagles circling literally over our house. We thought, wow, that's cool. But you know, we had to ask God for a sign. We had already bought the house. That was wonderful. But it wasn't God, if this is the house you have for us, make eagles fly over it. Now, when we moved to Melbourne from Adelaide, we went down there, and we were looking at where God was directing us with our kids. We were looking at where he wanted us to plant a church. And on the way, while we were driving, we passed a field that it had a white horse in it. And my oldest son, who was 15 at the time, said, God, will you make where we're to go, let there be a field with two white horses? Didn't tell us this. We visit a number of places, and we go to this area that we're looking at, and we go look at the school, and in the paddock next to the school is a field with two white horses. And he gets all excited. This is it, this is it, this is what God wants us. And we're going, what? <laughs> See, two white horses meant nothing to me. Because I hadn't asked God to confirm with white horses, but he had. You still with me? God speaks internally, and he speaks externally. And we need both. Words of knowledge are often internal. Okay, God can speak a word of knowledge. It could be that he gives me a picture of something. It could be that he gives me a feeling about something. I was uh, in a church once, and uh, as I got up to share, I had this really sharp pain in my kidneys. And my first thought was, oh, no. And then I went, I have no problem with my kidneys. My kidneys are fine. I said, maybe this is a word of knowledge. And so I said, ah, I think God's saying something. Anyone here have a problem with their kidneys? And someone got up, and we prayed for them, and God touched them. They were instantly healed. And as they were healed, all my pain was gone. So sometimes we have a feeling, sometimes we have a picture, sometimes we have a thought. That's a word of knowledge. Those are all internal, okay? We need to share them with humility. I think God is saying this. I have a picture about this. Does this make sense to anyone? It might be a very intricate picture. It might be God speaking, because sometimes a word of knowledge is God speaking to somebody and they know it? Word of knowledge is something that you wouldn't know in the natural, that God is saying supernaturally. And sometimes that's supernatural. I saw this red Jeep Cherokee T-bone this car from the side and the person inside got, got hurt. They ran through a red light and they T-boned this car and someone says, that was me, I was in an accident two weeks ago on a red Jeep Cherokee. Now there's no way you would know that. Except, God, But when, when God says something like that, the person who actually got T-boned, and they say, hey, God's speaking to me. Now, it's kind of like this. If Jesus were standing in front of Tim, here, 
And Jesus said to Tim, I want to heal you. What would Tim's response be? Yes! I'm getting healed. But see, a word of knowledge to someone can be exactly the same thing. Jesus speaking to them something that you wouldn't know about his desire to heal them. That's internal. But the problem with that is that sometimes it's a bit of Jesus and it's a bit of us. And we put a little bit of interpretation to it and we kind of fluff it out. And then we say, hmm, you didn't respond because you didn't have faith. God says he wants to touch somebody's right ear. And nobody responds. But there's three people whose left ear has problems. And when we actually come down to it, we saw a picture of an ear. But we interpret it as a right ear. And so we add something. Doesn't mean we totally missed it, but by adding something, we sometimes rob people of faith, where God wants to do just the opposite. You still with me? So, hearing God, walking in relationship is why we have to deal with roadblocks, which I shared last week. Isaiah 59, two and three. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sometimes unconfessed sin, as I said last week, becomes a roadblock. It becomes a hindrance to our relationship and our ability to hear God's voice. Doesn't mean that we're not saved, it just means that it becomes a hindrance. Unforgiveness often keeps us focused on the wrong things. Somebody hurts us and that's all we can think about. We're trying to get intimate with God, but our focus is on this hurt and and by forgiving, we're releasing that and we can get back focused on God. That's why we have to deal with these things so that we can walk in intimacy. We can't allow them to stop us. So, increasing in intimacy. Or growing in relationship. I'm going to give you three ingredients. This is what you bring to the table in partnering with God. He has paid the penalty for our sin. He's died in our place. He's made the way that we can come back into relationship with God. But the depth of relationship we have with him is often dependent on whether we'll spend time with him. And there's some ingredients that we have, and we can grow in that. The first one is humility. You know, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he'll lift you up. How often do we think we've got the ministry of humility? Not that I'm humble, but I've got the ministry. I'm going to keep Jack humble. It's my my role, not to affirm him, but I'm going to keep him. I'm going to tell him everything he's ever done wrong, and I'm going to keep him humble. That's my goal. That's my role. I've got the ministry of humility. You know, the Bible actually says you're to humble yourself. You're not to try and humble anyone else. In fact, just the opposite. You to try and encourage and lift up. Too often we think it's just the opposite. I've got to point out where they're wrong. Humble yourself. 
God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's an amazing scripture. It's in uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 and James 4, 10. Talk about humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. But there's something about when we humble ourselves. What does that look like? That doesn't mean think of yourself as terrible. It's simply saying, God, I need you. I want to know you. Second thing for growing in intimacy with God or in relationship is spending time with God. That's pretty obvious, but you can do that in worship. Jack Hayford once said, worship is the means by by which we enter the presence of God. He said, worship is also the means by which the presence of God enters our world. So spending time in worship Spending time in the Word. Not just because I have to check a box. I've got to read three chapters in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament every day so I get through the the, uh, Bible in a year. So I read as quickly as I can. It's actually reading, spending time with God, saying, God, speak to me from your Word. Prayer. Relationships are a function of time. Humility. Spending time with God. And the third one, Overcoming distractions. That's why we fast. Those of you who are here, I challenge you to consider at the first Sunday of the year spending some time fasting. Now often we think of fasting as being food. I want to set you free from that. It can be food. You know that in the Bible days that the Getting and the preparation and the eating of food was their major focus. It took up most of the day. And so fasting food was not just, I'm not going to eat. It was, I'm not going to spend all this time in preparation so I can give my time to something else. Yet, that's not a major thing for many of us today. Major thing for us might be social media, might be TV, might be music. All of them can be distractions from spending time with God. So you can say, well, I won't eat lunch. And lunch for you is that you stop somewhere and you get a toasty sandwich and it takes Five minutes, and so I'm not going to eat lunch. There wasn't a whole lot of preparation. There wasn't a whole lot of time. Yet you spend hours stuck on Facebook. Uh Uh-oh. I had a friend who used to say, uh, you've gone from preaching to meddling. This, This is where you're stepping on toes. This is where you're... Go back to the food stuff. We live in a culture that almost never has any quiet time. Most people, even when they're in the car, they're listening to the radio. It's TV, it's radio, it's music, it's iPod, it's something. We never have any quiet time. How do you expect to hear God's voice when you never have time to hear God's voice? I'm not saying any of those are wrong. Please understand me. 
There was, I don't think TV's evil. I think some of the stuff on it isn't good. I don't think music is evil, though some of the things that are communicated in music is not good. I don't think social media is evil, though some of the things communicated on it is actually stupid. <laughs> but it's not evil. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when those become our focus and we don't have time, they become a distraction. So not having a bowl of cereal for breakfast, I'm fasting and I'm going to show God how serious I am, doesn't actually mean a whole lot. One of the ingredients is relationship. I'm going to ask you if you'd just bow your head for a moment. We're coming to a close. I just don't want you distracted. You know what humbling ourselves is? Sometimes it's simply saying, God, I choose to humble myself. I want to know you more. Maybe there's some of the things I've thought about you aren't actually true, aren't actually accurate. I found myself doing that the last few weeks. Lord, I thought I knew this, but I realize I don't. I choose now to humble myself and say, Holy Spirit, will you lead me into all truth? I'm going to encourage you to do that. You can do it in your heart. You can do it out loud. I tend to speak things out loud. Unfortunately, the prayer everywhere in the Bible that it's spoken of is actually out loud. There's never anything about praying silently in the Bible. The actual word means to speak something. And so I've learned, okay, my idea of praying quietly in my head well, it might be meditation. Maybe it isn't actually prayer. Uh-oh. Now I've really gotten to meddling. Lord, I choose to humble myself. And I ask you to lead me into truth by your spirit. I want to know you more. I want to come into greater relationship, greater anointing. I want to hear your voice. I don't want the distractions of the world to drown out your voice. I want your voice to be the loudest. If you're here this morning and you've not met Jesus, why wait? Why wait? What are you waiting for? All you have to do is say to him, I turn from living for myself. And Jesus, I turn to you. I believe you died in my place so I can come to God and I want to do that. Doesn't mean someone has to pray for you. Doesn't mean you've got to come to the front. It simply means you've got to be serious with God. If you've not done that, what are you waiting for? If you're here, you probably believe the truth that Jesus died in your place. You believe Jesus is Lord. All you have to do is confess him with your mouth. If you haven't, 
If you thought you were a Christian because you went to church and you believed in Christian stuff, but you've never had a relationship with him, why wait? I went to church for seven years, sorry, 11 years, before I met Jesus. I learned a lot of good stuff. I learned some good values, and I met some great people. But it's only when someone said to me, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing him, that I realized I didn't know him. And my whole life changed when I met Jesus, not when I went to church. If you thought going to church is the answer to your situation, you've been deceived. Jesus is the answer. He loves you. If you've not met him, why not today? For the rest of us, this is just the beginning of a journey that we're all on, I'm on, in wanting to grow in the anointing of the Spirit. I was sharing at the prayer time this morning that I began to read through the Gospels again, just looking at the times when Jesus healed people. And I found that almost every time he touched them. There are a few exceptions, but almost every time he touched them. So much so that people realized there was something about that and they began to press in to touch him. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. There's something about connecting with Jesus. There are a couple of instances where he just spoke over people, and when it comes to deliverance, that's a whole other story. He never touched anyone. But when it came to healing, he touched people. And so sometimes it's his touch that we need. Jesus, we asked you that you would just touch us this morning. Your touch transforms everything. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're here this morning. And just as that illustration I used with Jesus standing in front of Tim, saying, I want to heal you, I want to touch you. You're standing in front of each person. And you're saying, I want to touch you. I want to heal you. I want to redeem you. I want to take that burden that's heavy. I want to fill you with love. Well, you've been empty. Jesus, will you do that right now? As we simply look to you. And thank you that it's our privilege, not just on Sundays when we get together, but every day. Every day, we have the privilege of knowing you and feeling your touch and touching you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.